as I mentioned before in this series, intentional growth. And one of the, one of the things, three of the things uh, we are hoping that you will do, be evaluate ways in your life where you need to grow in your faith and in your walk with the Lord. So there's evaluation and there's an identification, identify next steps that you can take to grow in that regard, and then act. So there's evaluation of yourself. There's identification of next steps that you can take to grow, and then act. And uh, today, as we keep this thought, intentional growth, in front of ourselves, we're going to talk about obedience to God. Now, who likes to talk about obedience? That's not a very fun thing to talk about or think about, right? Ways we must obey. But Jesus actually um, took our obedience very seriously. In this last hymn, we sung about our, our love being pure and praying to God, may our love be pure and strong for you, Lord. And Jesus actually linked our love for him and our obedience. And he said, those who keep my commands and obey them, they are the ones who love me. And if you do not love me, Jesus said, you will not obey my commands. So Jesus took our obedience pretty seriously. And we're going to look at a short scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul addresses um, a key ingredient to our obedience. And we'll look at that. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will read verses 3 through 6. Here's what Paul says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So we've been talking about intentional growth. We're going to talk about growing in our obedience. And it can be a fight. And that's one of the things that Paul described uh, this as, as a fight, a battle that is taking place. When we think about being obedient what to God... What do you think about? How do you evaluate or measure whether you are on the right track with being obedient to God? Let me share with you how I think a lot of people do it. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of obedience to God, they make a rather simple list a to-do, a check-off list. Um, and it may go something like this. Go to church. Don't commit any felonies. Keep my yard mowed so that the homeowners association doesn't send me any nasty grams in the mail. 
And if I'm checking those things off, if I'm going to church somewhat regularly, if I'm not committing felonies, and if I'm keeping my yard looking good, then I'm, hey, I'm doing pretty good in my obedience. Paul talks about this more like a fight, however. That doesn't sound like a fight, just coming up with a minimal list. You remember Jack Handy? Uh, He wrote... Deep Thoughts uh, with Jack Handy and appeared on Saturday Night Live several decades ago. Well, Jack Handy also wrote a book called Fuzzy Memories. Let me show you one of the fuzzy memories that he writes about. There used to be this bully who would demand my lunch money every day. Since I was smaller, I would give it to him. Then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons but the instructor wanted $5 a lesson. That was a lot of money. I found that it was cheaper to pay the bully, so I gave up karate. (laughs) And in our, our fight for obedience, I think we can take that easy way out. Let's just come up with the the three little easy things to keep, to manage, to, you know, the minimalist. Instead of taking on this fight for obedience, 2 Corinthians 10 says it's a battle. Verse 5 talks about taking captive every thought. This battle, where is it going on? It's going on in our minds, Paul says. We have to pay close attention to what we think because our thoughts affect our emotions. Our thoughts affect our hearts. And we act out of our heart. What are our emotions moving us to do? So we have to keep track. We have to be obedient in our minds. Um, So I want to share with you two things to watch out for and one thing to remember so that we can be very intentional in our fight to be fully obedient to God. And I am convinced without looking for these two things, without remembering this one thing, we will fall short in this fight for obedience. So the first thing to watch out for is the false Self. What is the false self? Uh, Satan's goal in tempting you to sin is to build, is to get you to build a pattern of thinking that will cause you to naturally act and to naturally respond to certain situations in certain sinful ways according to a false self that he wants to develop. In you, So one way that theologians throughout the centuries have talked about how Satan, or this thing that uh, Satan wants to do is using that term, false self. Satan wants to build in you a false self, which is opposite of God's true self for you. So let me give you a few examples of uh, how we can develop a false self. Um, say you are passed up for a promotion at work, or maybe you lose your job. Uh, Maybe you get a substandard job performance evaluation. Um, And then Satan whispers a lie to you. You're a failure. That's what you are. You're just not cutting it. What do you expect of yourself? And you start identifying with that. You have that experience and you hear the lie of Satan and you start building for yourself this false self, this false identity around the lies that Satan tells you, and you start agreeing with that. 
Or maybe you get turned down. You get rejected by a guy or rejected by a girl. And Satan tells you, well, what did you expect? You are a reject. And you start buying into these lies from the devil. And that forms into you this false self. Let me give you a personal example. One of the most uh, important experiences for me as a pastor was being a part of a pastor mentoring group uh, for about 10 years in Northwest Houston. Um, And there was a dozen or so pastors that were a part of this group, and we were led by a good friend, a very seasoned and wise pastor. And we would meet monthly, and we'd sit around these tables and share thoughts about uh, scriptures and, and, and God, and I would listen to these other pastors and think, wow, these guys they are smart. <laughs> they are insightful. They've got some gifts. What do I have? God doesn't speak to me nearly like he's speaking to these other pastors. Um, he's not interacting in my life like he's interacting in, in the life of, of these people that I'm with. And I started feeling a little substandard. Have you ever been a part of a group like that where you start feeling, man, I'm just, I'm not cutting it around these other people. I'm substandard. And Satan will whisper to you, you're not in their league. God God must not be all that pleased with you. Or God's not interacting, he's not personal in your life like he's personal in their life. And you start believing those lies and you build this false self. But let me tell you, Satan doesn't only work in negative situations, he also works in positive experiences in our life. And, and uh, he can get us to overinflate ourselves. What happens when you do achieve success and gain recognition? Well, you start feeling, thinking, well, this feels pretty good. I like this. And Satan will whisper, you need this. You need this success. And you start developing this false self around performance. And you do whatever it takes to maintain that level of success in your life. And in that case, what has success now become for you? It's become an idol. So notice something in all these scenarios. We have an experience and we misunderstand it. And then we tell a lie about ourselves and then we tell a lie about God. I get criticized in my work. I'm a failure. Or I go through a tough season in my life. I, I never get any breaks. And, and when we tell this lie about God, well, God must have abandoned me. Or I get praised for my work. I go through a great season in my life. Woo, I am a success. And we tell a lie about God. You know what? I can kind of keep God on the sidelines of my life. I don't really need him on this day in and day out basis because I'm doing pretty good. And the more we form this false self into our identity and believe the lies about God, the more we develop these deeper patterns of action. And I believe this is what Paul is talking about in verse 4. So look at verse 4 again from your scripture. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Look at that word, strongholds. And this is the second thing that we need to watch out for. Watch for, watch out for strongholds. And at first, we might think that that word strongholds means, well, that's like a, that's a stronghold of the devil, right? And we might think of, of the scripture, 
in Ephesians where Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold, this, this place of greater influence in your life. We might think, well, maybe that's what these strongholds are that Paul is talking about. That's not what strongholds are. Uh, strongholds, if you look at what that word really means, it means a protective fortress where you would go to seek safety. And here's what one commentator wrote about that word strongholds. Uh, strongholds, or a stronghold, is a false argument in which a person seeks shelter to escape reality. So what does Paul mean by this verse where we're, we're uh, fighting, not with weapons of the world, but with the power of God to, de- to demolish strongholds? Uh, strongholds don't refer to places where Satan has a stronghold. Um, and strongholds aren't places that Satan is entering into to seek refuge. That's not what Paul is meaning. So what does he mean by strongholds? A stronghold is a place that we retreat to, not to protect ourselves from Satan, because that sounds like a positive thing. Paul wouldn't be saying destroy those strongholds. We enter into strongholds, to protect ourselves from obedience to God. That is what Paul says we need to demolish. So let me say something about spiritual warfare. We can think that spiritual warfare typically is when just bad thing after bad thing happens to us. You know, our health breaks down, our car breaks down, our house breaks down, our relationships break down, and it happens over and over again, and we think, more, oh, we are under spiritual attack. And I'm not discounting that that can happen. That can happen. But I don't think that is the day in and day out battle, spiritual battle that we face. I think spiritual warfare, the day to day spiritual war, is fighting against the lies that Satan tells us, upon which we can build these strongholds that keep us from being obedient to God. And so what I want to do is go through three common strongholds so we can watch out for them. Three common strongholds. One is pride. Pride is Satan's way of getting us to believe, you know, we're fine the way that we are. We don't need God coming in and changing us and helping our attitudes and actions to to grow in a certain way. Pride really is self-righteousness. And we often think of self-righteousness as acting morally superior to others. But I think self-righteousness really is simply feeling that everything is A-OK in my life, on my own. I don't need God coming in and tinkering with me too much. That's this prideful thought. So pride is a stronghold we can climb in to protect ourselves from being obedient to God. Because the way of Christ is the way of being a servant. And if pride tells us anything, it is, I don't need to serve anyone. That's pride talking. So we can enter in that stronghold of pride, which will keep us from being obedient as a servant. Next stronghold is unbelief. Unbelief is uh, when we disbelieve God's power to come through for you. First, you might disbelieve that God will give you the power to grow. You might think, oh, I've got this habit, and I'm never getting out of it. I've got this addiction, maybe, and I can't kick this addiction. And if I feel like I have 
If I'm not going to grow, well, then I'm not going to put up a fight, am I? So one, we can disbelieve that God will help us in this battle to grow. Another thing that we might disbelieve is God's that God will really take care of you if you kind of take that step of faith and obedience. You know, God may be asking you to, to take a risk, to do something that you don't feel comfortable with. Um, and you can disbelieve. Uh, I don't know if God's going to really come through for me if I really take a stand and, and become radically obedient. Will God really come through for me? Will God be faithful to his promises? I like this quote from Francis Frangiapan. He writes, Every battle we face in life is over the word, God's word, and whether or not we can build our lives upon the faithfulness and integrity of God. Every battle we have at its root is, do we believe that God will be faithful to what he promises in his word to us? So do you see how unbelief can be this stronghold that we enter into to protect ourselves from being obedient to God? If I don't believe that God's going to come through for me, I don't know if I'm going to be radically, fully obedient to God. Three, third stronghold, fear of failure. This includes fear of rejection, fear of uh, fear of embarrassment. Who likes to be embarrassed? Not me. Who likes to be rejected? Not me. Who likes to be a failure? Not me. I think this is one of the greatest strongholds that we can enter into. And it may be one that Paul himself struggled with. If you read through Second Corinthians, the letter that we read from initially, Paul gives some clues that um, likely some of the Christians in this church were attacking him. They were attacking his motives. If you read a little bit later in chapter 10, you find out that they were attacking Paul's public speaking skills, his preaching and his teaching. Um, Paul had lots of reasons to say, I'm backing off. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to tone it down. I'm, cut, I'm you know... If you don't want me, if you don't want my preaching and teaching, fine. I'm staying away from you. I'm checking out. I'm backing off. This is exactly what I was tempted to do when I was part of that pastor's group, listening to all these smart guys and gals around me and what they were saying about God. And I'm like, uh, I'm just going to keep quiet because I don't have anything to say. I want you to notice what Paul does. He boasts to these Christians in Corinth about his weaknesses, not his strengths, his weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, look at what Paul writes. He writes, But Christ said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you were thankful about a weakness of yours? Thankful about a weakness so that God's power and God's grace may be seen through your weakness. If you haven't done that lately, you need to. You need to find a weakness of yours and be thankful for it. That's exactly what Paul did. 
Because it's in our weaknesses where God shows his power and his grace most evidently in our life. So notice something um, about temptation. The common everyday temptations we face, they're not to commit some terrible felony crime. That's not the main temptations we face. Rather, the temptations we face are to give in to pride and unbelief and fear. So how do you know if you're struggling with one of these strongholds? Look for anxiety to identify a stronghold. Look for sweaty palms. I get up here preaching, man, get some sweaty palms. You know what it's like to feel a little anxious, don't you? Maybe your heart starts beating a little faster. Palms get a little sweaty. Maybe that little fight or flight reaction. You, you, you feel that, that urge. I want to I fight what's going on. I want to I attack or I want to run away. Look for anxiety to identify a stronghold. So let's say someone is critical of you. Usually you feel a little anxious when someone is critical of you. Maybe you get defensive. Pride kicks in. You're tempted to enter in that stronghold of pride, which will keep you from thinking, okay, God, yeah, that wasn't very pleasant being criticized, but maybe there was something important for me to hear from that person. Maybe that person was really unpleasant when he or she said it to me, but maybe there was something important for me to hear. So look for that anxiety and pause and say, am I about to enter that? Stronghold of pride. Or maybe you're at a meeting at work and you're sitting around the table and everyone's talking about some ideas and you're thinking exact oppositely of everyone else. And you're, you're thinking, oh, man, I, that doesn't sound right to me, but everyone else is saying this. Am I going to give that contrary thought or idea? And that anxiety sets in. I don't want to look foolish. There's that anxiety, and God has put you there in that moment to benefit your company, benefit that group of workers, and to speak out. Or maybe you're a student at school, and same scenario. You hear students saying one thing, and you're like, oh, I don't want to say the opposite of that. I don't want to look like a, a fool. Or maybe you have to speak out against something at school or at work, and there's this fear. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to be rejected. Recognize that anxiety as a sign that you are tempted to get into that stronghold of fear, of failure, or rejection. See how our minds work? I'm trying to give this picture. We, we have experiences, either negative or positive. We incorrectly assign meaning to those experiences. We either make too much of ourselves or we make too little of ourselves. And then we build up these strongholds in our minds to protect ourselves from getting hurt. That's the typical battleground for the war against temptation. So let's talk about what we need to remember. The one thing to remember. Who is the champion in this battle? Is it you? How 
how do you find victory in this battle? You look to the champion. Let's look again at verse 5. Verse 5 at the end says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what I read in my new international version of the Bible. But this perhaps is where the old King James or maybe the New American Standard Version gets it a little better, puts it a little more correctly. So I want to put up the New American Standard. It says, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, what does it mean, the taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? Do you know that if anyone had a right to be prideful, it was Jesus Christ. (laughs) Son of God, perfectly sinless in his actions. If anyone had the right to be prideful, it was Christ, and yet he was completely humble to the will of his Father, and he became a servant. He did not enter into that stronghold of pride. He said, I'm going to serve the will of my Father. Do you know if anyone could have questioned Will God come through for me? It was Christ, because he knew what was going to happen on the cross. On the cross, he was going to take all of our sins upon him, and he would receive the full amount of God's wrath on himself. If anyone had right to question, boy, is God going to come through for me as I'm receiving his wrath? It was Christ, and yet he remained obedient. If anyone had to overcome the fear of rejection, it was Christ. What is, what is Isaiah chapter 53 saying? Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. If anyone would have been tempted to enter in that stronghold of the fear of failure or rejection, or the fear of pride, or, or, or the, the stronghold of pride, or the stronghold of unbelief, it was Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. So who's the champion of this war? Here's what you need to remember. The champion of this battle is Christ in you. Whenever Satan tells you a lie, you're a failure. Or forget about God. He won't come through for you. You don't need God. You're quite capable of doing this on your own. Whenever you hear these lies, whenever your mind starts processing and you're tempted to climb into one of those strongholds, you take those thoughts and you make them captive to the obedient Christ that is in you, that is living in you. So it means to take those thoughts Make them captive to the obedient Christ who is in you. He will give you the power to overcome. Know this, that the flip side of every temptation from the devil is a test from God. God is testing you. Will you lay your life down so that Christ will grow in you? Will you lay your life down so that more and more Christ can grow in you? This obedient Christ, that he will grow in you. We can obey in temptation because Christ, the power of this obedient Christ is in us. 
but you must fight for that. Know what you are thinking and believing in your mind and bring every doubt, bring every prideful thought that you have, bring every fear that you have over failure or rejection or embarrassment. Bring all of those thoughts to Christ who overcame all of those temptations and say, Jesus, may your strength in me help me overcome my weakness. And remember this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, gives us this promise. The one who is in you, that's Christ, is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you were so pleased to dwell in us, that you gave us your Son, so that his Spirit may reside within us. And thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we, when we sin, um, there is nothing but mercy and grace and forgiveness from Christ and his power to grow in our obedience. Lord, will you help us to think through our lives and notice these strongholds that we're tempted to enter into? We want to live bold, courageous lives. We want to live lives of a servant because we know that our lives, that you have put us in this world to serve this world just as Jesus came to serve this world and to serve your kingdom and to help lead others into a relationship with Jesus Christ and help us to be true to that calling. But we need your power to do that. So we ask for that power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Each in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We have an opportunity now to exercise this gift of of giving and to worship God through our giving. And as you think through intentional growth, giving is one of those ways that we can grow. And in particular, you know, how can you tell if this is one way I need to grow? Well, there's this kind of contrary, contrary in principle. Um, you know, when sometimes when we feel like or worry, do I have enough? Am I going to have enough? Um, God's solution for that fear is not, well, let me hold back on my giving. Let me let me stockpile some of it. Um, actually, God's method of moving forward is actually becoming more giving. <laughs> Why? Because that builds in you this trust in God that God is going to provide what you are worried about lacking. God will see to it that his children do not lack in anything. And so... Uh, that may be you this morning, and you might be hearing God's voice. I want you to grow in this grace of, of giving. And we have offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary. You can put a, an offering in one of those on your way out, or you can always make an online gift. Um, go to our church website, hopehouston.org, and um, follow the directions on the, on the giving tab. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you are a heavenly Father. You provide for our needs out of your abundant grace. And you so love the world that you gave your Son. You gave us 
he who is most costly to you, your very own son. And so will you not also, of course, give us all things that we need for the enjoyment of our life and our growth and our sustenance. So, Lord, we trust you this morning, and we ask that you would receive this offering and you use it to, to bless our neighborhoods, that you would use this offering to bless our church, that you would use this to grow our witness to the gospel of Christ, and also that you would use this offering to work in our heart to help us to love you and not our wealth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand to receive the blessing? Know that God has started a good work in you. That's what Philippians chapter 1 tells us. God has started a good work in you, and he will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, and he will help us to continue to grow in love and wisdom and in the knowledge of our Savior. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, may the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.